0: Hello, Clear Skies Ahead listeners. This is Kelly Savoy, and I'm hoping you can take a moment of your time to rate and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. We have produced over 60 episodes, and you can help us reach even more individuals that will benefit from the diverse experiences shared by our guests. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this new episode. Welcome to the American Meteorological Society's podcast series, Clear Skies Ahead, conversations about careers in meteorology and beyond. I'm Kelly Savoy and I'm here with Rex Horner and will be your hosts. We're excited to give you the opportunity to step into the shoes of an expert working in weather, water, and climate sciences.
1: We're happy to introduce today's guest, De Yas, a meteorologist for NBC New York in Rockefeller Plaza in New York City. Welcome, Violetta. Thanks very much for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. It's great to be joining you guys.
0: Violetta, could you tell us a little bit about your educational background and what sparked your interest in science? Yeah.
2: So in my case, I you know I always like to say that meteorology found me. Um, My path into science and STEM happened um, a little backwards. I started the path through um, journalism, actually. I've always been a sort of communicator at heart. I love people. Um, I love communicating. I love getting to know people. And that's something that I've always been passionate about and I've always loved to do. So initially, my, my first degree was in journalism and media studies, and I minored in Spanish, which was... Actually, at the suggestion of my mom, and something I'm very grateful for to this day as um, an immigrant who moved here very young. I was about five years old when we moved to the States. In a lot of cases, it's uh, very easy to lose the language, you know, when you're already living um, outside of a native um, Spanish speaking country for so long. So I'm very grateful to her for that, for suggesting that I sort of uh, pursue some education in Spanish too, aside from what I was being taught in the household um, in order to make sure that my writing and reading um, and comprehension and all of that was sort of on par with the verbal and um, conversational skills. So I started out in journalism and The path to STEM actually was sort of born out of um, an opportunity I saw to serve underserved communities. Um, When I was on the job hunt, um, this was back in 2008, and that was during the last recession. Um, You know, I had a really difficult time finding opportunities, especially as a recent college graduate. Um, It was just, it was hard for anyone. It was hard for people with, you know, lifelong careers in the field. Um, So in my case, living in New York at the time and being sort of fresh out of college. It was um, it was a very, very uh, steep uphill battle. So I saw an opportunity actually at um, AccuWeather. They were looking for a bilingual weather broadcaster. Obviously, up until that point, I did not have the weather background. But up until that point, I had not really considered utilizing my native language, Spanish, As sort of a a career tool. So that sort of sparked my interest right away. Of course, they were willing to train the right person. And um, I decided to step out of my comfort zone because I really started to think about it in terms of, you know, growing up, I looked at myself as more of a, you know, communicator, the arts type of person. I think a lot of young people think that you are either one or the other. Um, that you can only be good at, you know, science or math or, you know, communication, the arts and that sort of thing. And I was one of those people. But, you know, in retrospect, when I really think about it, I wonder if there was sort of an accessibility issue for me that I just simply was not really exposed to people working in this particular field. It just wasn't something that was talked about even in high school. I don't really remember ever, you know, hearing about, you know, Weather, meteorology careers in meteorology, and certainly not um, black or brown women um, being involved in it. So that's something I still think about to this day, and and that's what I mean when I say that I, I feel like my path was sort of born from an opportunity I saw. Because when I came across that job posting and I decided to go for it, um, in preparing for that role, I saw, I, I started looking for other meteorologists who've been doing this obviously much longer than I. Um, uh, trying to find their work, um, you know, different words that I could pick up and terminology and, and um, just different people that I could emulate and learn from. And I realized that there were very few. Um, there were there were certain people, um, bilingual meteorologists who've been doing it a long time, John Morales in Miami, who's, you know, been excellent and a real pioneer in that way uh, and in many ways. Um But there were very few, so that was really something that um, the sort of light bulb went off and I said, you know, there's a whole segment of people just like me who are not being exposed to this, not only in the professional sense, in terms of being aware of the, uh, you know, the availability of these kinds of careers, but also even on a day-to-day basis, getting weather information and having that sort of uh, critical information uh, presented to them in a way that they understand. So it really took off from there and um, you know, I was very fortunate at AccuWeather to um, get a lot of training. Um, before I, you know, ever went on air, um, we would do a lot of seminars, with hurricane experts, severe weather experts. So I, I felt very uh, prepared with sort of that, um, I guess, you know, informal knowledge, we'll call it, or informal education. Um, and then eventually, I was presented with the opportunity to go back to school for meteorology. And at that point, I was doing it enough that I said, you know, what? I really like this. Uh, I think I'm good at it. And I really see an opportunity to also serve. Um, So it kind of took off from there.
1: So it was 10 years after your undergraduate degree that you got your broadcast meteorology and geosciences degree, I believe, and you had a wealth of work experience in between. And I wanted to ask you, we talked a little bit about how You didn't have some opportunities presented to you in high school. You didn't have any, you know, meteorologists visit your school. You didn't have any women of color to look up to as as role models and inspiration in the field. You said it was, um, that demographic was sparse, but you did find this opportunity and you began to, it sounds like you were seeking out uh, mentors who did uh, help you in your path. And uh, you were able then to even take the opportunity of letting STEM find you to, to make the job that, was, that would help you out and would help these underserved communities find a, a representative in the field. So I, I'd originally wanted to ask you what other opportunities you pursued that were beneficial to securing a job in your profession, which, which you sort of spoke to. But I am interested in this, this learning curve about adding STEM after you've already been in a professional role and then going back to school for it. Can you give us a little bit more insight into what that, that ten year period was like and how your meteorological knowledge evolved during that time?
2: Yeah, I think it's extremely beneficial. And I do see more universities now offering... Um, sort of dual degrees or double majors in journalism and meteorology and i think that is incredible it wasn't um available at my school at the time but um i think it's extremely important of course meteorology is is extremely important and sort of the cornerstone of what we do in terms of broadcast meteorology but the broadcast part of it is also very big Um, it's also very important i think you know I think that younger people should make sure that they're not neglecting that part of the job, um, because I have seen it before. People who, I mean, extremely intelligent people, you know, several degrees, you know, every um, you know certificate under the sun. But it's really important to be able to communicate that knowledge that you've acquired in a way that's easy for people who don't have that kind of educational background to understand. And that doesn't mean watering it down. That means um, just sort of tailoring your approach, right? So more people can understand and use the information that you have acquired through both education and your expertise, because that's uh, at least In the broadcast meteorology world, that's why people tune in, right? They want to know, what do I need to get through my day? Um, Am I dressed the right way? Um, Do I need to cancel this event? Do I need to move? Do I need to wait a little later? Um, So they come to you for that type of guidance. So I really feel that um, having sort of uh, explored the journalistic aspect of the job first really set me up well to, um, you know, once I was able to gain more of the scientific background and more of the scientific understanding, to be able to um, serve as a a communicator um, of that information.
0: Yeah. And, you know, um, from what I know of broadcast meteorologists, there are a lot of them that do meteorology, but they also do reporting, um, especially when they're starting. So that's another really great reason to have a background in journalism as well as meteorology. So you talked about AccuWeather and how that was a great opportunity for you out of school. Um, So after that, uh, did you start working as a broadcast meteorologist at any local stations? And how did you end up at Storm Team Four in in New York. So
2: I was at AccuWeather for about three and a half years, and um, toward the end of my time there, I got a call um, from News Director in Philadelphia, and they were launching a new Telemundo affiliate, um, who's going to be the sister station to WCAU uh, NBC 10 in Philadelphia, and they wanted to know if I would be a part of it, and I said. Uh, obviously, of course, um, but the position was contingent upon going back to school, um, which at that point, again, I had been at AccuWeather long enough and um, uh, had enough experience to know that this is something that I did want to pursue long term. Um and so I moved to Philly in 2014 um, to launch the station and immediately enrolled in Mississippi State. And I started my coursework pretty much right away. Um, so I did the three-year program while I was working full-time on air, uh, which of course is, is, is very challenging, but um, it's also very beneficial. You know, it's you can apply... You know some of the things you're learning, you know, every day uh, and on the spot, pretty much. So, um, I found that to be very beneficial, of course, in terms of time management um, and discipline. Those things are, are very important when you're juggling uh, all that stuff. But um, that that's sort of the way that it happened for me. I, I was in Philadelphia for um, eight years, and I had finished um, my uh, Mississippi State program in 2017,
1: I believe it was. So I've, I've heard that at graduate school graduations, the the folks that are working full-time sometimes receive the loudest applause when they get their degree because everyone in the audience recognizes what an achievement it is to pull off that feat of achieving a degree and working full-time and supporting yourself and, as you said, managing your time. So congratulations to you personally. You surely deserve all the applause that you received getting your degree. So now we're at we're at Storm Team Four in NBC New York. But before that, I want to back up and talk about what it was like starting this NBC affiliate in Philadelphia. Were there any other bilingual weather outlets at the time? And what was it like bringing that to the community? What sort of feedback did you receive? And how how were you able to to get connect with the community you were hopeful to serve?
2: Yeah, it was. It was, it's a very special experience that I don't think a lot of people get to be a part of. And that's something that, you know, I'll always, I'll always treasure um, building something from the ground up. Um, It certainly, you know, has its growing pains. You're sort of uh, learning as you go, not only this space, it's a new space, but you know, adding a station to an already very established station and sort of just um, trying to, um, you know, synchronize all of that and everybody getting sort of readjusted to the the workflow. Um, but I, I, it was, there was a huge opportunity there, like you said, to serve that particular audience. When I took that job, I was shocked that this was going to be a new station in the city of Philadelphia, I was like, well, wait a minute. They don't have, you know, t- at least two. They did have um, the uh, Univision affiliate there, but outside of that, it was, it was just the one. So I was very shocked that there wasn't more of an offering um, in terms of linear uh, TV and um, people being able to get that critical, not only weather information, but news information. Um, so we really saw an opportunity there to expand on, you know, what was already being offered and weather played a big role in that. Um, you know, having I, for pretty much my entire time there, I was the only person you could get live weather updates from during severe weather. Um, I think at the uh, one of the other station, the segment was uh, recorded or was sort of outsourced through one of their uh, hubs in Miami. So, um, and that's a big responsibility. And I took it very seriously. Of course, that presents challenges too. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm in school and I'm um, doing my best to make sure, you know, our community is covered and informed. Um, sometimes things happen on the weekends. Sometimes things happen in the mornings. Sometimes things happen, you know, at night. So I, I feel like I really did my best to make sure we were covered um, uh, in every way possible. And, and that didn't happen overnight. You know, we uh, certainly expanded little by little, Um, We eventually started doing the uh, the school cancellation crawls at the bottom of the screen, which had never been done before in Philadelphia for the Spanish speakers. Uh So little things like that, that may be on the domestic side. Um, of, you know, television are sort of taken taken for granted or, the, you know, they've just been doing it a long time. Um, things like that, uh, you know, wall-to-wall tornado coverage. Um, I've handled, I mean, I don't know exactly where you guys are located, but, you know, in the Northeast, we've had some very, very um, rough severe weather seasons in the last couple of years. And I handled those all by myself. So it, it, was, it was a big responsibility. And, you know, I'm proud of the work that we were able to do it as a station and also me personally. And I think, um, you know, keeping in mind that there are people who who need this information um, and really don't have many other places to get it. That makes it very easy to, you know, really not take those opportunities um, of uh, connection with your audience for
0: granted. Yeah. It's hard to believe in a city that large, Philadelphia, uh, that that would be the case. Um, it, it's good to know that uh, it, it's it's moving in a better direction now.
1: So, Violeta, you recently started at, at your new position, but one, one thing we find our listeners always value is an insight into what it's really like boots on the ground, so to speak, on the day on the job. And I know that broadcasters keep pretty unusual hours and I'd love uh, to get a window into what it's like for you and how you manage your time. And you can kind of blend, if you want, between your current and past jobs just to give us an idea of how how to make it work as a broadcast meteorologist on air.
2: Yeah, so I... Um... Typically, most days at the station will start with an editorial meeting. Um, you know, you'll want to let the producers, the crews, the assignment desk, and the managers know sort of what they can expect short term, long term. And that sort of serves also as um, planning help, right? They need to know if, if there is something going on or something significant going on with weather. They want to know where... Um, They should be sending crews, um, you know, and how severe it's going to be. So those decisions sort of all tie in um, together. We offer a lot of guidance for um, the sort of uh, core news staff. So most days we'll start with that Um, from there. Um, We tend to sort of dive into the data, you know, get up to speed on what's going on and uh, look everything over, you know, for an hour or so. And then from there, you want to start working on the forecast and any adjustments that you want to start making. Um, In this case, I'm sort of uh, going over, let's say, like a nine to six type, uh, you know, of, of schedule. So, you know, once you're sort of caught up and up to speed, um, you want to start adjusting the forecast um, and making any necessary changes. And communication is a big part of that. Um, sort of those transitions between, um, let's say, the morning shift. Um, so, Maria LaRosa, who does a morning show for us, um, you know, once she's all done, she'll leave some notes, anything she sort of saw, any trends, you know, she's starting to notice with the model data. Um, and just sort of doing that uh, baton pass is really helpful um, because it sort of gets you quick briefing even you know within the weather team as to okay let me you know keep an eye on that um, through the course of the afternoon so you work on the forecast make any adjustments and um, we also really prioritize updating our digital platforms and making sure that our videos on there are updated Uh, I think you know in in some cases maybe the uh, the department will cut something from an actual newscast. We really try hard to, um, and the way we have it set up is to do a sort of digital specific uh, forecast. Just it looks a little more casual visually. Uh, the style is uh, you know a little more casual, and we just feel that that it's better. It better serves our audiences, um, especially. Any anyone who's tuning in on the website or the app, it's just a little more in line with that. Um, Then we have a show, 11 to um, 12. The last 30 minutes is uh, like a lifestyle show, New York Live. So the main um, news show is 11 to 11.30. Um, And from there, there's like a little bit of a break. Um, Sometimes, depending on what people have going on, you might, um, you know, have a school visit in the afternoon, you know, depending on staffing and and who else is there. Um, Maybe you're working on a climate piece. So maybe that afternoon, you know, you might be going out to, um, you know, do some interviews or shoot some video or simply still here at the station sort of coordinating those kind of things and, um, you know, putting a story together or or reaching out to people um, to set up. Future interviews. Um, updating social media, of course, and again, updating um, the digital platforms through the afternoon. That's sort of a continuous thing, and that gives us an opportunity during those times that we're not on air or on traditional television to um, you know stay connected with our viewers and 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 everyone across our our personal platforms and also of course our station platforms too and then it sort of shifts to okay now we're getting ready for the um, the afternoon shows which are longer so we have a four a five a six a seven and then an eleven so typically depending on you know how many um, how many of us are in that day uh, we'll all sort of pitch in um, you know some of us will maybe you know, brainstorm new graphics that we can show in the afternoon to make sure, though, you know, we're sort of moving the weather story forward and things don't sort of get um, mundane. Um, So we'll brainstorm new graphics, try to make some new ones, um... Also, communicating with producers about uh, the other weather information that might be in the newscast. Sometimes they, there's weather-related stuff, of course, that isn't necessarily uh, part of our segment. Maybe they're airing some video of, you know, some really bad, um, some very severe storms in the middle of the country. Um, so just looking over that and making sure everything looks good, um, and then getting everyone ready for the uh, the afternoon show. So I think the best part of the job is that, you know, no two days are the same. You might get a few that are pretty similar you know you might get a few uh, especially if the weather's relatively quiet you might get a couple of days that are you know pretty low-key and you get to sort of um, focus on some other things but um no two days are exactly the same and that's something that I I really like about the job that it's um you really don't know 100% you know what you what you can expect that day weather is a little more predictable but you know news news is is a different story
0: yeah and it sounds very varied. And I wanted to ask you, do you ever have the opportunity if there's um you know a storm coming or there's some type of event, do you ever get to go out and um report? Yeah, I mean, I'm always seeing, you know, broadcast meteorologist. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, what a trooper. You know, they're out in the <laughs> snow with their hoods up and, you know, the wind is blowing and it's a hurricane. Do you ever get to do that or, or is your job mostly in studio? In my last job, Um, not too much, maybe once or
2: twice, but mostly we're a much smaller team in um, Philadelphia on the Telemundo side specifically. So I was needed more in-studio. So I spent most of my time doing, um, you know, the the forecast legwork, the graphics, and um, sort of the more uh, traditional in-studio, on-air work. Um, But we'll see, you know, I'm I'm starting a new role here. So I'm sure at some point, um, you know, I'll be out there. um, And it's nice to... uh, I really, I really enjoy the the forecasting aspect of it, um, and presenting the weather sort of in that more traditional way. But I think getting out, whether it be um, you know during storms or just doing um, different stories, climate stories, and telling sometimes essentially the same. Uh, not the same information, but telling the uh, a different aspect of the same story, you know, whether it be um, something on TikTok, uh, you can kind of dive a little further into certain topics um, on these other platforms. I think that's a really great benefit. So that's something that I'm looking forward to in um, this new role, being able to sort of expand on some of the stuff that we uh, talk about and go over in our um, traditional news shows and being able to take it sort of one step further in a sort of more casual, way right depending on the the platform.
1: Well, I'm excited to see what you come up with and I will keep track of what what sort of interesting <laughs> side side projects you you produce. I I think that I I like Kelly, I love seeing those videos of people out in the elements because for me I'm a pretty visual learner and I like both abstract and concrete examples and I, I technically a chart is is abstract to a degree, right? It's it's abstracting what we can see with our own senses. And so seeing someone getting whipped by the snow makes you think, oh, that's what would happen if I went outside right now. And it really <laughs> just hits home. The same with live cams, for instance, in a way that even a chart that's like saying red is bad and you're in the red has, has a similar effect. But I, I've always found it um, to be illuminating to see someone out in the elements. And I know it's a great, it's just a great picture always.
2: Yeah, I think they really serve, our our field crews serve as an additional set of eyes and it helps us for um, verification purposes. I mean, yes, and... and In a sort of severe situation, you can look at the radar and say, okay, I'm pretty sure that's a tornado or I'm pretty sure it's snowing very heavily right here. But, you know, not every situation is like that. And um, certainly eventually uh, things start to get fall a little more in the gray area. So our our field crews are really great with that and letting us know, okay, you know, this is really winding down here. The wind has been, you know, coming in from every direction um, and it just adds an extra layer of observation and and ground truth.
0: And so you mentioned that you really enjoy the forecasting aspects and it sounds like, um, you know, the station is very team oriented. Is there, is there anything else about the job that you really like? Definitely the fact that it sort of keeps you on your
2: toes and, you know, that, rarely will two days ever be alike. Um, I think that the ability to connect with people is something that I really enjoy, not only, you know, with the people I work with, but also with our viewers. And that's something, that's a relationship, you know, us with the viewers that has evolved so much over time. Um, You know, when I got in the biz, uh, I remember joining Twitter. This would have been in 2010, and like, nobody was on it. It was like, you were talking to yourself. It was celebrities <laughs> were on it. And some of the news people were on it. It's Spears just you selling. and, and like, Britney hello, Spears. Hello, yes. <laughs> and Rihanna. Yeah. And Rihanna. Yeah. <laughs> Rihanna was there. <laughs> Rihanna was there. So yeah, it just kind of felt like, hello <laughs> out there. Like it, it, So, you know, seeing that platform in particular evolve into becoming, um, you know, a, a Certainly, especially, I think, as it compares to other platforms like Instagram and Facebook becoming um, a place where a lot of people come for information. Um, You know, people, I think, I I would say that I don't have the data in front of me to back this up or anything. But I think most people, if you're going to follow, you know, like a news organization, Twitter is tends to be the platform where they do it. It's just more succinct, um, a little more straight to the point. Obviously, the character limit um, plays a big role in that. But um, I think, you know, seeing that relationship with our viewers sort of um, evolve over the years and um, the connection sort of increasing and the immediacy with which, you know, you can reach a lot of people, um, obviously. There are some downsides to that too. Sort of constantly being out there and constantly being available, um, and, and viewers and and whoever else, just the public in general, always having a pipeline to you. Sometimes, you know, the comments aren't always aren't always nice. They're not. I think most are, um, but I think more than anything, it has really been a, a big positive and has allowed us to build a better um, connection with the audience. And I would say the other thing that I really really love about this job is you know, being able to use my platform in a positive way and be able to encourage people and having the opportunity to sort of offer the help that, uh, I don't want to say wasn't offered to me, but I I just wasn't able to capitalize on, you know, when I was, um, whether it's high school college or, or whatever, um really trying hard to share the lessons that I learned the hard way so that other people sort of have that information sooner and can sort of navigate their own paths
1: uh, better. So I want to ask you about some of the challenges you see yourself or your colleagues or your field facing as a a whole. And uh, just as a preview, we will spend some more time getting into the bilingual community and and reaching improving weather communication, so we will touch on those specifically, but in general, are there some other areas that you would be able to share that might be some challenges that your field can conquer in the years ahead
2: um I think the Sort of um, the digital and social media relationship is uh, is a very important one um, as it pertains to you know news and um, and weather as well. I think the line between you know let's say journalist in this case and influencer is becoming increasingly blurred. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think, you know, young people in particular, um, that's something that they need to keep in mind, right? I think it's important to utilize these platforms, absolutely, because I wish we had access to these. Um, They existed, you know, when I was in college, but they were really nothing near, you know, what they are now. Same thing with Facebook. Facebook uh, was created my sophomore year in college. I remember being in my dorm room being like, hey, (laughs) what's this, Facebook, and signing up. And Rutgers was one of the first... um, schools that was on the platform. Back then it was only colleges and it was only certain colleges. So um, I think it's having them available helps more than it hurts. And it, for the most part, serves as a really great tool. But, um, you know, like with anything, there can be some pitfalls if you're not careful. So I think um, the industry as a whole, I wouldn't say, you know, this is something that I dealt with personally. I think people need to, I think, consider, you know, do I Do I really want to, you know, serve as a journalist? Do I really want to serve as a meteorologist? Do I really want to, you know, serve this information and help um, my community be more informed? Or do I enjoy... It's just sort of like the TV aspect of it. Um, that's something that was actually taught to me by my professors. Um, and I'm sure many other people before getting into the business. So was like, listen, this looks really glamorous. Um, I know you probably think, you know, you're going to be, you know, getting your makeup done and your hair done every day and all, you know, all these outfits and it's going to be all fun. And it's just not like that. So that's, that's sort of one thing I think, uh, you know, just very broadly, um, that I sometimes see playing out, um, with younger people. I think um, them sort of thinking about that and considering that from an earlier age um, is better for for everyone Do I really uh, do I really enjoy this? Uh, the role and being a journalist or being a meteorologist and, um, you know, sharing this information, or is it more of the television broadcast uh, sort of camera aspect that that I enjoy? And for some people, it's both. And some people are great at both. But um, I think overall, um, again, very sort of broad is that's something that I sort of see playing out um, more frequently.
0: And, and that makes the job kind of cool. The fact that you can get your makeup and hair done every once in a while and still get to make a difference in your community and um you know weather's really important as you were saying before extreme weather is getting worse and worse and the public really needs to have individuals that are reliable sources of information because of, like you're saying everything everybody under the sun is on social media um saying they're an expert when they're not so right it's great. It's it's great to have a job where you can have a little bit of both, and being a bilingual meteorologist and working in in a variety of markets. Um, what's your advice for improving weather communications for non English audiences? So. This we have this conversation
2: a lot, um, and I think I'm really proud of the work we've been able to do with our committee for Hispanic and Latinx advancement. Big shout out to Joseph Trujillo. He was, you know, spearheaded that, and he has just been um, incredible in that way, and in terms of sort of rallying the troops. to address issues that we have all been having for a long time, but kind of just didn't know how to go about it. I didn't know sort of how to take that first step in terms of addressing a lot of those uh, problems. So, um, you know, big shout out to him. I think it's important to keep in mind, and this is certainly something that we do as a committee, doing our best to make sure we are sort of considering everything, right? Spanish is not a a one-size-fits-all language, even across different countries. People speak very differently. Um, Sometimes people have completely different dialects altogether. Um, There are certain words um, right now off the top of my head that I know if you were to ask people from five or six different countries how to say uh, popcorn, straw, Thunderstorm, you might get five or six different answers. So, keeping that in mind when we are um, tackling projects, for example, or deciding what we want to tackle is very important. But I also think on the other side, it's important to keep in mind that we're not going to please everyone 100%. Um, It's easy to sort of fall into that as well, where we're trying so hard to, um, you know, not, um, I don't want to say exclude anyone, but not. to not sort of leave anything behind in that way. But at the end of the day, you know, we have to make sure that we're compromising and we need to make sure that, you know, the goal is not for everyone to be happy and for them to say, oh yeah, this is the word that I would say. The goal is to be able to communicate that information in a more streamlined way so that the most amount of people understand. So something that we might decide in terms of a specific term, um, that we're trying to change the perception around, it might not be how I say that word in Argentina. For example, I was born in Argentina, um, but if I know that most people would understand that, if I said that, then, you know, we, ha- we have to go with it. So sort of maintaining that balance, I think, has been um, the key to our committee and a lot of the efforts that, um, a lot of the effort that we've been making in terms of improving communication. Yeah. So, um, making sure that we're being inclusive, but also being decisive, right? And um, and also talking to our community because in many cases too, they don't know what they don't know. Um, so we have been trying to have, um, for example, in our last National Lightning um, Safety Week initiative, we did a poll um, to sort of uh, gauge the uh, level of understanding of certain terms and how certain terms are um, interpreted. And we got a great response and that, you know, was something that didn't necessarily go on for a a really long time, but that's really important information. I told you guys in a city like Philadelphia, we've only had our Telemundo station for, uh, you know, eight years now. So, you know, that community is just now realizing, oh, you know, there's, there's different ways to say these things. Maybe I've been misunderstanding when they've, I thought they were saying thunderstorm and they're saying this. So even for them, I think it's been a little bit of an awakening um, in terms of them realizing all of the information that's out there um, and that there are more trusted weather sources available in Spanish now more than ever.
1: So you mentioned the AMS Committee for Hispanic and Latinx Advancement that you're a part of. What else do you do in this role or what else does the committee do apart from some of the weather communication aspects that you've mentioned already?
2: So the weather communications has been um, a very large part of it. The committee's This is only our second year, um, and we really took that first year um, as an opportunity to sit down and say, okay, we're sort of really lacking in a lot of ways. And a lot of us have been experiencing these same challenges over, you know, however many years. So we really hit the ground running last year with, um, a lot of different projects. The biggest one was the um, national lightning, um, safety, um, mm-hmm. uh, week. And now what we're looking to do going forward is to just, uh, continue to expand on that and take it a step further. Um, because of COVID, um, you know, one of the things that we had talked about was taking that particular initiative uh, into schools. Since a lot of us do school visits relatively frequently anyway, um, we thought that would have been a really great opportunity to sort of spread that message because, you know, a lot of parents, a lot of parents learn from their kids too. You know, they Hey, what did you learn today? Oh, I learned that, you know, when thunder roars go indoors and, you know, they're able to sort of pass that message along to parents. And again, for Spanish speakers in particular, when they're not exposed to that, you know, those kinds of sayings and that kind of safety information in the same way that, um you know, uh, the, the sort of domestic market is. So expanding on those projects was something that unfortunately COVID uh, kind of nixed, um, but we're hoping to maybe pick that up this year, um, doing some school visits and maybe coming up with some more um, tangible material with a lot of the graphics that we were able to make as a team um, and expanding that project, maybe even into... Um, employers, for example, some of the like one of the big uh, informational nuggets that came out of that was um, just the general premise that um, Latinos in the U.S. Um, tend to be more exposed to lightning due to the places they live and work. Florida and Texas, extremely high Hispanic populations, also typically index extremely high, if not you know first and second, uh, in lightning flash density. Mm-hmm. So uh, and taking it one step further, looking at the industries that Latinos tend to have highest participation in, they tend to be outdoors, agriculture, construction um, and things like that. So, uh, you know, taking that project uh, a step further is something that is going to be really important for us going forward Um, and also possibly exploring the opportunity to maybe, like I said, get some employers involved, because sometimes um, it's not that easy to say to your boss, for example, hey, you know, I think I saw lightning or I heard thunder, Uh, I'm gonna stop or I'm gonna go inside. You know, not everybody has that sort of level of uh, confidence to sort of have those conversations with bosses if the policy, uh, any severe policy is not being implemented. Uh, Obviously, I don't know, but just those sort of situations, um, you know, not everything happens as we plan it. So I think maybe trying to reach um, and partner with some employers or companies, I think,
1: would be a really great step. Certainly would.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like everything you're doing on that committee is wonderful and and we, we truly appreciate um, everyone who's volunteered to be a part of that. Um, I wanted to go back to um, you mentioning that you really like helping um, younger people. And I know that you're a part of a media mentoring program at Rutgers. Could you tell us a bit about that and, and how did you get involved with it? Absolutely, so I,
2: I have always enjoyed um, mentorship. Um, I do a lot of it even outside of that committee, just sort of informal. I, um, I'm i very connected to my alma mater, and I'll have um some of my former professors sometimes just send me a quick email, hey, I have this student, he or she is, you know, interested in pursuing sometimes meteorology, sometimes, um you know, just hard news or digital media, whatever it may be. Um, sometimes they're bilingual, sometimes they're not, but, you know, he'll think that, you know, they could maybe benefit from um, a little guidance. So he'll connect me with them. And then, you know, that relationship sort of develops. But I wanted to um, also sort of do it in a more official capacity. So I got involved with the um, media mentoring program. And the way it works is um, every year I get a new mentee. Um, So they will sort of uh, pair you with someone who again has maybe similar interests, sort of similar um, career aspirations, um, and we will connect. And you need to meet a certain amount of times a year. Obviously, uh, in person, back then was encouraged. Now we're sort of slowly opening that uh, back up again. But for, you know, virtual works too. And I just you know help them out. Everyone is different every year. I, I meet someone new, and uh, as as much as i like to think okay you know they're they're my mentee truthfully the mentee relationships and at least in my mind last don't last that long because i find that these people are so, are very well prepared. They're very smart. They know what they want to do. And so, yes, you know, I help them out and answer any questions they may have and um, even help, you know, any placement if I can, you know, help um, if they have an interest in, you know, uh, internships or what have you, um, maybe where I'm working. But I find that relationship is very short because they know what they're doing. Um, Sometimes you just need someone to, you know, bounce ideas off of like, hey, um, or I want to contact this person about this job, you know, is this email, you know, professional enough? Um, Just those little things, I think, um, help them tremendously. And I find that for the most part, they don't need me that much, Um, you know, and it's just a little bit more of a confidence thing. But it's been great. And it's been great for me too, getting a new mentee every year, because it, it helps me also sort of stay connected to the next generation of meteorologists and journalists and, um, you know, understand some of the things that they go through, um, you know, their interests and, um, you know, some of the things that they deal with, what they're interested in, what they're not interested in. And um, sort of seeing that evolve also year to year is, is interesting and it's helpful for me to sort of um, stay connected to them too.
1: Staying on the topic of student listeners, job seekers, I'd like to ask you what types of positions you see in in broadcast meteorology maybe specifically for bilingual meteorologists and, and what the future job outlook is and and how you might how you have advised uh, some of the mentees that you've worked with directly.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, television is a is has evolved immensely even in the you know, I've been in the business 12 years, even in those 12 years, I feel it has evolved immensely and it continues to evolve. Um, I think that young professionals are at a great advantage because of the amount of platforms available to them right now. Um, When I graduated in 08, um, again, all of these platforms existed, you know, YouTube, Facebook, all that stuff. But They weren't anywhere close to what they are now. So I started. I remember I looked for a job for two years because when I graduated, it was during a recession. Um, So it was very, very hard, and I did my best to um, just stay busy and and you know keep my skills fresh and try new things and put myself out there and try to find ways to get on camera. Um, So I started a a blog, um, and and I think now with as many platforms as they are and these platforms are now also being taught um, academically in school. You know, there are courses, you know, digital media courses. Um, It's very valuable to have an understanding of those platforms and use them to your um, advantage. And I think that's something that is uh, sort of a little more unique to young professionals now, and maybe let's say the last, you know, five uh, five or so years, where I think the transition to digital has really, really taken off. Um, so I think that's uh, important. I think um, making sure that you know your platforms are are showing what you want to show. If you want to be, you know, a broadcast, uh, a, a general news reporter, then you should be doing your best to cover news, right? And you don't have to always wait for someone to give you that opportunity. Sometimes you have to make that opportunity for yourself, especially if you're, um, you know, just recently transitioning into the workforce, or maybe you're in a little bit of a transition period, Um it's important to be a self-starter, you know, and I think that's um, especially in this business, because you said uh, earlier, Kelly, you know, everyone now is as uh, feels like they're an expert. If you give someone a camera, they're an expert. Um, but the reality is that's not the case. So you want to make sure that you are um, offering something, you know, offering s- substance and and that, you know, your material and um you know, at at the end of the day, authenticity is, um, I think, important now more than ever for that very reason. You know, you can find a million people, you know, doing, you know, uh, the news or whatever on every platform under the sun, but I have found at least that people really gravitate toward authenticity. Um, If you're not, you know, a a TikTok dancer, then don't be a TikTok dancer. You know, you don't have to do that in order to, um, you know, connect with younger people. You you need to be yourself and you need to, you know, present value to your audience. So I think um, making sure that you have an understanding of those platforms and are using them to your advantage because they weren't always um, a, sort of a tool in the toolbox, right? In my case, they it was sort of just the beginning, uh, but also making sure that you are, um, you know, if you're, especially if you are on the market for a job, you want to make sure that the content you're creating and, you know, what you're putting out there supports that because you want people to see what you can do in that capacity.
0: Fialetta, thank you so much for sharing everything about your career. And before we end the podcast, we always like to ask our guests one last fun question. I'd like to ask you if you can meet one famous person, alive or dead, who would it be?
2: I have had the same answer to this question for a million years, and it's Michael Jordan it's michael Jordan I love Michael Jordan I was a huge bulls fan uh growing up I was more so an mJ fan you know it's hard to not it's hard to not be a fan of a, a dynasty like that but um I think just his mentality and his tenacity is just something to marvel at um I very few people you know in the sports world there are plenty of you know, amazing athletes every single year. Um, but I always found his story to be just so interesting and how even some of the other like greatest of the greatest, you know, basketball players and, and athletes, they all also look at him like he's just different. He's just different. He just has different mentality. So uh, just that tenacity and the, you know, never say die and just confident all the time, you um, is something that I always found really interesting. So I would, I would love to I would love to share a meal with Michael Jordan.
0: <laughs> yeah, this there's, there's definitely not much not to like about Michael Jordan. He's certainly a class act.
1: Well, maybe he will listen to this podcast and reach out to you, Violetta. <laughs> so we've been speaking with Violetta Yass, a meteorologist for NBC New York in Rockefeller Plaza in New York City. Thanks so much for joining us, Violetta, and sharing your experiences with us. It's been a true honor.
2: Thank you so much, guys. It's great to be here with you.
0: Well, that's our show for today. Please join us next time, Rain or Shine.
1: Clear Skies Ahead, Conversations About Careers in Meteorology and Beyond is a podcast by the American Meteorological Society. Our show is produced by Brandon Kroos and edited by Peter Trepke. Technical direction is provided by Peter Killalay. Our theme music is composed and performed by Steve Savoy, and the show is hosted by Rex Horner and Kelly Savoy. You can learn more about the show online at www.ametsoc.org slash clear skies, and can contact us at skypodcast at ametsoc.org if you have any feedback or would like to become a future guest.